Well, good morning, Heart Church. Can um, let's just begin our time and let's lift up Heather and Shane. And um, uh, I talked to uh, Shane yesterday, and I guess Heather's been having some temperature and some you know low grade symptoms. And let's just pray that it stops there and uh, reverses, and and that uh, Shane and the kids are protected. So, Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, we, we lift and name Shane and Heather and their kids um, before you, and we ask in Jesus' name that you would put your healing hand on, on Heather, Lord, and that you would uh, roll back this fever, Lord, that you would not allow it to progress in any way. Father, we ask for your protecting hand on Shane and, and the children, God, and we ask in Jesus' name, Lord, that uh, the Holy Spirit would put up a hedge of protection around their home, Lord, uh, God, we pray that you would speak death over this virus uh, in her body and in their home. And uh, Lord, we just uh, pray that this quarantine time uh, would end up uh, being a staycation, Lord, a, a, a retreat for them uh, that would bring blessing to their family. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So out of curiosity, is this anyone's first time here at heart this morning? First time? Well, welcome. So, I want to say to you specifically, do not judge your experience this morning based, based on me, okay? If, if you come next week and Shane just kind of alienates you, that's on Shane, but don't, don't judge this community on me this morning. I'm, I'm strictly the sub. In fact, uh, the church that I had pastored and, and now my pastors there are Larissa and Vince Medrano, I let them know that I wasn't coming uh, today, and so... You ever get in trouble with your text? Has, has that ever happened uh, to you? So here, here's my conversation uh, with Vince and Larissa last night. Uh, hey, Vince and Larissa, just want to let you know I won't be there tomorrow. Shane called me, uh, Heather tested positive, and now they are quarantined. So I'm preaching out there tomorrow. This is Vince's response. Bummer for them. And then five minutes later, he said, clarifying, not bummer for the church that you're <laughs> preaching. Honestly, good for Heart Church that you're preaching. Bummer for the Rogers. But we, we all knew that he was just covering his butt, right? <laughs> so, um, so bear with me this morning. Uh, you know, with churches opening up, uh, it's hard on everybody kind of getting back into church rhythm. Uh, families getting kids up and out the door. Um, heard a story uh, about family trying to get their, their son out the door to church, and so it's Sunday morning, and they knock on his door, and they say, son, get up, it's time to go to church. We're going to church again. And his response was, I don't want to. And, and they go, what do, what do you mean you don't want to? And so they leave him, try and get him rested up, and then come back, knock on his door again, and say, son, get up, it's time to go to church. And they say, don't want to go to church. And they give him a few more minutes, and they come back and say, Son, get up. It's time to go to church. And he says, I don't want to go to church. And so his mom says, Give me two reasons you don't want to go to church. And he says, Okay. Reason number one, I don't like the people. Reason number two, people don't like me. And so the dad comes over and knocks on the door. He says, son, get up. It's time to go to church. And the son responds and says, okay, you give me two reasons. 
why I should go to church. So the dad pauses and finally says, well, reason number one, you're 43 years old. (laughs) Reason number two, you're the pastor of the church. (laughs) So, I mean, it's just hard times for people. Um, Every Sunday I stalk uh, Shane and I watch your services online and then I send Shane a a note. And um, so I know you've been in Joshua and and Shane just finished a a series in Joshua. And and over the last year, I've been kind of, as in my devotional time and reading, I've been kind of thinking through Joshua. And so we're going to spend some time in Joshua this morning. Actually, we're going to spend some time in Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, but we're going to jump there from Joshua. Normally, it's my habit to uh, just kind of pick one passage and go verse by verse with that passage, but uh, given your, the study that you've been in, I thought we might look at some things that I believe Joshua learned through Moses. Um, do you remember that book? It was a big hit. Um, it's still a pretty good seller. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, really helpful book. I, I remember years ago having my team uh, read through it. And so this morning I kind of want to do a adaptation of that and call it Nine Principles of, of Highly Effective Christians or Followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, what, and specifically, what did Joshua learn by hanging out with Moses? And so this, how we're going to look at this is not in order of priority. I'm going to give you the, what I think is the number one priority in all this uh, at the end. Uh, instead, I'm just going to go kind of biblically, starting with Joshua's relationship with Moses in Exodus. But let's begin uh, in Joshua chapter 1, uh, beginning at verse uh, 5 of chapter 1. I'm going to read to, to verse 9. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you, and I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go, just as I was with Moses. And that's what really kind of triggered my attention when I was reading this was, just as I was with Moses. So this becomes the reference point for Joshua, right? As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. So what does Joshua learn in his relationship with Moses and the events that he witnesses that contributes to the leadership and the character of the man that we call Joshua. And so that's what I want to look at with you this morning. Uh, We're going to go through it fast because I want to get through nine things. And so let's just launch into it. Number one, and again, this is in chronological order, not in order of priority. Okay, Number one is victory under Moses comes from the Lord. So the first thing that chronologically that I think Joshua learns is that life's victories come from the Lord, not from you. And, and what's really striking about this, if you go back in Exodus chapter 17, is that this is the story of the battle against the Amalekites where Moses is on a mountain. And he tells Joshua that he's going to be watching. And what happens is every time Moses has his arms raised and worship to God, 
they're having victory, but every time Moses' arms grow tired, right, and his arms begin to droop, he starts to experience defeat. So when they're up, victory. When they're down, defeat. And so what does Moses do? He gets a couple of guys on either side of him uh, to hold up his arms so that he can have a victory. So we learn from that that your victories aren't your victories. Okay? They belong to the Lord, and frequently it involves other people. Uh, if you get into a spot where you think that all victories come from you and your ingenuity, uh, you're going to fail miserably. Okay. God uses our leadership. He uses our faith, but it's never unaccompanied. Our faith is always accompanied, number one, by God's faithfulness, but two, by the people that God puts in your midst. And, it's, and the interesting thing is if you look at the, that, that passage, it's fair to recognize that Moses is the elder and there are younger men attending him that are holding up his arms. And so victory is going to be multi-generational. It's, it's, going to be, it's, it's got to involve the generations. Number two, uh, the value of a mentor. In Exodus 24, it says that Moses set out with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up to the, to the mountain of the Lord that now... Moses specifically begins to involve Joshua uh, in the signal events of Moses' life and the deliverance of Israel into the promised land. Uh, the role of a mentor. One of the things that I have been so blessed with in, in my life is, is the presence of mentors in my life. Uh, ever since I became a follower of Jesus Christ, God has given me godly mentors. I came from a family, I shared this uh, when I was with you in the fall, uh, that I come from a Jewish family, and uh, my family did not accept my faith uh, when I shared with them that I had become a Christian. In fact, my dad said to me that what I had done had become like become a Nazi in World War II. So God surrounded me with other men that could be mentors in my life and, and spiritual fathers. In fact, um, one dear, very dear um, man in my life, he's dying. He's got probably a week or so to live. For the last 37 years, he has been my spiritual father. Um, and, and just a very special man of God. Businessman uh, in the San Diego community. For those of you who have been in San Diego County for a long time, you might remember the name Silver Springs uh, Water Company. Um, he's, he and his brother started Silver Springs and... Um, just has taught me so much uh, in Christ. Uh, the value of a mentor. Uh, Carol and I uh, served in England, and the man that we went there to work with, uh, he was kind of like England's Billy Graham, um, uh, had pastored a church, was the most traveled English evangelist since the Wesley brothers in the 17th uh, century. And uh, so... Uh, Oftentimes in my life, I, his name was David Watson, and oftentimes in my life, I'll find myself going, what would David do? Because, I don't know about you, sometimes thinking, what would Jesus do, is a reach for me. I, I, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I don't know. And, and the legalist in me, though, you know, will make Jesus keep rules that Jesus never intended on keeping. And, and so... You know, so you can project a lot of stuff on Jesus, and that's one of the reasons why he gets a bad rap today is because we project a lot of stuff on Jesus that shouldn't fall on Jesus. Uh, but for me to say, like, what would David do? 
Or an earlier mentor who's still in my life, what would Len do or what would Ed do? Or, I mean, that allows me to get a concrete vision of what my next step should be. And so when God says to Joshua, just as I was with Moses, that's the reference point. You don't have to think about what, when, when, when I seem distant from you. See, this is the role of a mentor, is, is that sometimes, I don't know about you, God seems distant. He's quiet. He's, he's, he's gone on do not disturb or, or silent mode. And if you haven't experienced that yet, bummer Sunday, you will. Okay, so, so I, I mean, it's, it's not a question of F, but when. And that's when a mentor comes in because God placed that mentor in your life so that when God seems silent and not answering, I can call my mentor. And now as I'm getting older, now the challenge is for me, to I'm not going to have many people in my life that are older than me to mentor me. So now the challenge in my life is to turn to people younger than I am to mentor me. And someone who's half my age can mentor me. It's, it's not a question of, you just have to, uh, like that old Indiana Jones movie, choose wisely. Okay, choose wisely. Okay, let's, let's go on. Uh, third thing I see. Understands the consequences of compromising with other gods. In Exodus 32, when they make the golden calf, Joshua hears the noise of the people as they shout, and he says to to Moses, there's the noise of war in the camp. But the noise of war in the camp uh, was this idol worship that was going on. And Joshua sees firsthand, as as he's there with Moses, what happens when you compromise and you worship other gods. If there's anything that's going to undermine a leader's integrity and capacity, not just integrity, but capacity uh, to lead and to be effective as a follower of Jesus Christ, it's going to be compromise. Okay. Whether it's personal compromise, and, and, th- and by the way, that, that doesn't mean just sexual compromise. Okay? It, do- it doesn't just mean financial compromise. Uh, it, 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 doesn't, it means that that slight bowing of the knee. Do you, do you know that when Jesus is tempted and, and Satan says to him, you know, all you have to do is bow before me? That's how most of our translations, that word in the Greek is an interesting word because all it means is bend the knee. So, so think about that. You're wearing a robe, right? You, you know, they didn't go around in khaki shorts and things that, or, or trousers. So all you, all, you, all you have to do under a robe is just, not even perceptible, but just an inch. Just kind of bend the knee, a slight indent, an inch. And the devil would know, and Jesus would know, but no one else would know. So that's compromise. Compromise is what we do frequently that no one else knows except you. Now, we're not talking about relational compromises where it's right. You know, you give up your rights and you find a, a middle that you can all agree on. That's not the compromise that we're talking about here. We're talking about compromising our integrity as followers of Jesus Christ and our awareness of what He wants to bring to a situation. And so. Years ago, we planted an organization, literally planting, called Plant with Purpose, 
And it's now in, I think we're in 13 countries. Uh, I'm no longer on the board, but Carol and I are avid uh, supporters. But uh, we give microloans, and we go into areas that have been ravaged through deforestation. Like if you go to Dominican Republic or Hawaii, and you see those beautiful et etched mountains and hills that are green, but, but, but they have the, these sharp patterns, that, that's all because of erosion of land, because... The trees were cut down, and the trees hold the topsoil. Topsoil slides. Now you get these very savage, majestic-looking mountains that that are carved out of that. Um, but people can't live on that land any longer because you can't plant crops because there's no topsoil. So the way to recover the land uh, is to plant trees. Trees hold the topsoil, and then you can plant crops again. And so. Uh, we started in the Dominican Republic, and we've spread to Haiti and Africa and parts of Asia and stuff. And, and, and the whole thing is, is to extend microloans so people plant trees, and then you give microloans so that three or four years later they can start to plant crops again. And the entrepreneurial results that we've seen is just incredible, that families can become self-sustaining. And in the process, they learn God's... God's kind of principles of creation and caring for creation. And we've seen hundreds of people come to Christ over the years as God intersects their life in that way. Or in Ukraine, we, we helped start an orphanage um, years ago. Um, uh, and, and we continue to be very supportive. We planted a church there. And the whole thing is that we're, wherever we go, part of the thing is we'll never do a bribe. Uh, in some of the countries that we're in where there's just no rule of law, it's really tempting to get things going and accelerate things. We had things that had dock in the Dominican Republic for 18 months because we wouldn't give a bribe. And, but once people see that there's not that compromise going on, then down the road it, it, it comes back in your favor. And so the challenge that, that Joshua learned, never compromise. And you have to decide what those idols are. Your idols might not be someone else's idols. Some people, one of their idols is vanity. Okay. But for another person, it's never, it's not van, that's not a big issue for them. For some people, it's, their idol is to be included with the larger group. And for other people, that's just not a, a, a temptation. I mean, whatever those points are for you, those are the areas where, to be effective, you have to say, I'm not going to compromise there. I'm not going to compromise there. I can tell you over the last 18, 20 months, pastors have really struggled. Because, I'll tell you this, we know what you want to hear. And we also know in the 21st century, people go to churches that they... Where, the, where they perceive the pastor agrees with them. <laughs> do, do you see how backwards that is? I mean, I've had people over the years tell me, I'm not going here anymore because I disagreed with that message you, you gave this morning. And, and I've said to them, well, there's nothing wrong with disagreeing with my message. Believe me, there's nothing wrong. But normally, I, I would do what's called expository preaching where we go through a book for a long time. I did three and a half years in Romans uh, with our last year's breaking for, for Christmas and Easter, and then we do a summer series. And so when we get to like Romans 13, where, where Paul's talking about 
government and things like that. And I have people say, you know, we're leaving the church because you, you're too political. I happen to be, I'll tell you the story, I happen to be preaching after Donald Trump won this first term and was talking about the role of government. I had people tell me, we're leaving the church because we don't agree with you. Um, I go, well, that's fine. I said, but what triggered that? They said, well, you're being political. I go, how, how am I being political? I said, well, you chose to be in Romans 13. I, I said, we've been going through Romans for two and a half years. Yeah. This was the next chapter. I'm not that smart. I, I didn't look at the calendar and go, okay, so we got four weeks off for Advent, Christmas. We have this time for Easter and Lent and things. I said, my mind's not that sharp. This is where we are. I can't help it that that's where we are. And then I'm offending Democrats and Republicans because this is what the Word of God says. So, so here's the thing. As pastors, we know what you want to hear. We, we know those of you who are quote-unquote Republican, those of you who are quote-unquote Democrat, we know what you want to hear. We know that you want us to side up. We know we, you want us to say a word that reinforces your perceptions. We know that. And pastors have experienced so much blowback and fallout over the last years who have tried to stay consistent with the Scriptures. And I would have people say, well, I'm leaving because you're too political. And my response would be, I don't mind you disagreeing. Believe me, I don't mind you disagreeing. I only have one question. Because God is God, how can he speak to you in a way that disagrees with your perceptions and your understandings? Because that's what the prophets do, right? Prophets tell Israel, you're out of alignment. And so sometimes Israel does the thing. They, they say, well, we'll go find an idol that agrees with us. Because that's what idols will always agree with you. That's the great thing about an idol. They will never say no. They will be your best friend up front. But how, how can God speak to us in a prophetic manner? Because listen... If you haven't disagreed with God yet, bummer Sunday. There's going to come a time in your life where you are. Where His ways are not our ways. His kingdom is not equated with any national flag. And we're called to be people who don't compromise. And Joshua learns this lesson. Well, I've got to move fast. Okay, next one. Exodus 33, the value of worship intercession. The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And then he would return to the camp. But his young assistant Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave this tent of meeting. Through Moses, Joshua learns the value of worship and prayer. The value of having a time, setting aside a time and a place, space to worship the Lord and to intercede for the people that God has given you care and influence for. 
that that's that's our circle of intercession. Uh, I, there are people who are called to be intercessors. They can pray for this nation, other nations of the world, and you would think they knew everybody in that country. I've met people like that. They have this remarkable capacity for intercession. I'm not that person. But the people that God has put in my circle of influence and my family, that's my circle of intercession. And that's, that's the group of people to engage on behalf of, and Joshua learns that. Through Moses. The fine line between leadership and control. In Numbers chapter 11, Moses cries out to the Lord in the earlier part of the chapter, and he just says that leading this people is too much of a burden for him. He can't handle it. So God tells him to assemble 70 elders on whom he's going to pour out his spirit. And in fact, 68 show up to remain in, the, in their camp. The, they're, they're late. Do you know people in your life that are just perpetually late? You can set your clock 10 minutes late by them or 20 minutes late by them. You can just recalibrate your watch by 20 minutes because you just know they'll always be late. I, I, I have a daughter who says, I'll be there in 15 minutes. Not a chance. I can just set my watch for 35 and we'll be right on time. And so it, that's just the way she was born. That's the way she's wired um, there's some cultures in the world that to show up on time, they're never going to do because if they show up on time, that means they're a slave. Only slaves show up on time. And, and so you, you always show up late. Uh, it's a sign of independence and personal authority and responsibility to be late. So part of it is a cultural thing. But in this case, 68 show up, two don't. And when the Lord pours out his spirit, they all start prophesying praise to God the 68 that are with Moses, but then someone sees these two guys at another camp who didn't show up but were meant to be there, and they start prophesying, and they feel like maybe they're trying to take over for Moses, that they're doing something that only Moses can do. And so that person comes back and says, um, my Lord Moses, stop them. And Moses chooses not to do it because there is this fine line between leadership and control. As, as leaders, we, it is not our job to control other people. Uh, everybody, by, by the way, let me just say, everyone here is a leader. The, the question is just, what's the scale of the leadership that God has entrusted to you? Okay. And it's not one person is better because you have a wider scale of influence or a more narrower scale. It's just the way... We're, you know, we're all pieces on God's chessboard. And some of us are pawns, uh, some of us are rooks, some of us are knights, kings, queens, whatever. But, but it's not a matter, because when I do a memorial service, everybody that I've ever buried is a leader. And, and the reason I know that is because there, there will be on average between 40 and 90 people, sometimes more into the hundreds, present who when I open up time for people to share the impact of that life, inevitably will be a story of influence, of how that person influenced their life. So we're all leaders. Uh, and we're all followers. Uh, you can't be only one. Okay? Uh, we're, we're both. And so there's this fine line between leadership and control.
Next, let's jump on. Uh, visionary believers see what others do not. In Numbers 14, you have the story of, of, of Joshua comes back from scouting out the land. They say that there's really big people there, but that their size doesn't matter to God. Other people say, oh no, they would completely destroy us. The people shrink back in fear. But Joshua tries to call the people to faith. And Joshua's son of Nun and Caleb son of Japuna were among those who had spied out the land tore and tore their clothes because they saw what fear did not allow other people to see. Okay. Okay. Leaders, effective people, see what others do not. And that will always mean you'll be in a minority. So, so it's just the way it is. And, and that doesn't mean you go, poor me. That doesn't mean we get a besieged mentality. That, that doesn't mean that, that even you become judgmental. Sometimes it just means, you know, it's like taking someone to a movie that they haven't seen, but you've seen it. And it might be the kind of film that, in which that person says, no, that's not really my kind of movie. But you go, come on, let's just go see it anyways. I've seen it. I really think you'll like it. Just, just come on. Uh, a, a kind of food. My dad, my, my dad had the most restricted culinary palate on the planet. Okay. Okay. Potatoes without butter or seasoning. Okay. Any kind of meat. Okay. Just plain meat, red meat. And he eventually grew to allow salads with Thousand Island dressing. That was it. Lived to 93, so it wasn't like you know, his arteries seized up. But, but, but that, that was it. So trying to get my dad, when we brought him to California, to eat other kinds of food, like a taco. If you said, Dad, let's go get tacos, it'd be like, no, I don't eat tacos. And, and then you try and say, well, Dad, you know, tacos are really just hamburger meat. You know, at, you know let's not even go to abadada or, or, you know, carne asada or something. Let's just start with the Taco Bell type <laughs> crummy tacos, right? So, so I'd say, Dad, you know, it's just like a chip with hamburger meat in it. And, um, and you try and explain it, and he wouldn't have it. So you finally just have to say, well, Dad, just let's go get Thai food. I don't eat. That. Come on, you'll like it. You like it. And then you just you see. Just take, let's go get Indian. I don't eat Indian. No, no, no. Let's just go. And you just take. If you've tasted and you've seen something that someone else doesn't have the capacity to know, or they're not going to see it. You're going to be in the minority. It's always been that way. But that's the power of your influence and your love to help people see what you don't see. In fact. When Jesus comes preaching, Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, Jesus says, repent. Repentance has so much more to do than with just coming up with our sin list. Okay. The word repent is an interesting word. It's two words, compound word. First means is, is meta, which means beyond. Okay. Greater than, beyond. And the second word is, comes from mind. Okay. So it's beyond our mind. In order to see the kingdom of God, you have to repent. You have to repent of the limits of your mind. That's why it includes our sin list, because frequently our sins limit our vision. And so part of repentance is, 
is to simply give God the sin that we are aware of. But if it stops there, it's why you can repent and still not see God. Because it's not about the sin itself. It's about exposing the limit of your mind to perceive the kingdom of God. How are you going to see the kingdom of God? You're going to see it when you, when you, when you no longer allow the boundaries of your mind to incapacitate you from the presence of God's kingdom. Because how else are you going to see it? It's like a mustard seed. It's like yeast in, in a lump of dough. It's, it's imperceptible unless somehow we can go beyond the limits. Visionary believers see what others do not. Okay, value of encouragement and the benefit of God's promises. Deuteronomy chapter 3 charged Joshua as well at that time saying, your own eyes have seen everything that the Lord your God has done to these two kings they, they won in battle. So the Lord will do to, to all the kingdoms into which you're about to cross. That's God's promises. But charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him. The value of God's promises and encouragement. Um, you have promises that God has spoken over you, whether you know it or not. And we all share in common promises that God has spoken over all of us in Christ. Okay. We don't have time this morning to talk about how to discern the promises that God has spoken over you personally. But the minute you become aware of that, it gives you tremendous encouragement in those times when you're feeling weak and incapable. Because you know God's, God's promised this to you and therefore it's a matter of holding fast and continuing on. But the value of encouragement... In third grade, I got my first D on my report card. Now, in my home, there, there were two grades, A, and anything below an A was an F. And so when I brought home a D in art on my report card in third grade from Mrs. Tannenbaum, my, we, we had a come-to-Jesus meeting, but without Jesus. <laughs> and, and my dad was furious. And he said, what, what, what do you mean you got a D in art? I said, well, I, I did. He says, did you get in trouble in class all the time? I said, no, I, I've, been, I've been pretty good in, in class. He said, did you not do the assignments? I said, no, I, I did the assignments. He goes, well, then why'd you get a D? I said, I don't know. She gave me a D. And so he says, fine, we'll have a parent-teacher conference. So he arranges a meeting, and we go to school, and my father sits down, and, and he was pretty direct. He said, why did my son get a D? And she was equally direct, said, he's not artistic. My father said, what? She said, yeah, he got a D, he's just not artistic. And she brought out some of my work and basically said, it's crummy, he's not artistic, I gave him a D. <laughs> so I grew up my whole life thinking I can do anything I want to do, can be anything I want to be, except I'm not artistic. Not artistic. And then later on, I got this thing called a Macintosh. It doesn't look anything like an Apple Mac today, but in those years. It, and it had this thing called a graphical user interface where you could see fonts and you could paint and you could draw. And I found that I had this all of a sudden love affair with font and design and layout 
which led to an interest in photography and and, they, and, and also I found out, who the heck did she think she was? <laughs> I may not be a, you know, a Michelangelo or, you know, Matisse or, you know, whatever, but, but there's something in me that's artistic and is creative, but she blew the winds of death over it. I mean, it was another 25, 30 years before I realized that maybe there was a little bit creative and artistic in here. The power of encouragement. The power, never underestimate the power of encouragement. I have a friend, used to pastor an RB, a vineyard church, uh, Ken Blue. When he was four... His parents split up, and he lived with his grandparents. His grandparents had a horse, and his grandfather put him up on the horse. And little four-year-old kid on this massive horse, he was petrified. His grandfather says this to him, you're a natural rider. From that moment on, he said, I, I knew I was a natural rider. He says the horse went three or four steps. I fell off the horse, but I knew I was a natural rider. <laughs> yeah. And then when his grandpa put him in the swimming pool, he said, you're a natural swimmer. And then he took him hunting. He said, you're a natural. You're a natural. Everything is natural. So Ken grew up thinking, I'm a natural rider, natural swimmer, natural shooter. What, what do you do with that? Well, you become a, uh, an Olympic triathlete, military triathlete, swimming, horseback riding, and shooting. He won a silver medal at the Olympics in Mexico in the late, like, 1968, whatever that was. All because Grandpa said to him, you're a natural writer. Do you realize what we can unleash with people with just a word of encouragement? Walk in God's promises and encourage Joshua. I don't think Joshua could have ever got the people across the river without encouragement. Okay. I know your blessing. Moses summoned Joshua, said to him in the sight of all Israel, uh, Deuteronomy 31, be strong and bold, for you're the one who will go with this people into the land. That's his blessing. That God has sworn to their ancestors to give them, and you will put them in possession of it. Then the Lord commissioned Joshua, son of Nun, and said, be strong and bold, for you shall bring the Israelites into the land that I promised them. I will be with you. Walking in the certainty of your blessing. Now for me, Abraham is my patron saint of the Bible. I, I have studied him uh, over the... Each, each year I kind of come back and do another study on Abraham. For some reason, he's my guy out of the Bible. And, and the whole idea that he's been blessed to be a blessing, that's... That's my blessing. That's what I walk in. Um, Abraham never wrote a book, didn't seem to perform any miracle, uh, had meager, humanly speaking, meager influence, but now all the promises of God are to satisfy the promise that God made to Abraham. Even Jesus is the satisfaction of that promise because Abraham was intended to, to that through him and his family, they were blessed to be a blessing. And so... Carol and I have raised our four daughters under this understanding. Our family exists with the blessings of God to be a blessing in the lives of other people. 
And so that's how we order our home. That's how we have raised our kids. That's how we have encouraged them to see their friendships and relationships. And, and so when they were in high school and we would host all the high school parties. I mean, we would build this float and everything because that way uh, our kids could extend that blessing uh, to others. Okay? You walk in your blessing. And Joshua saw that and Moses received that from Moses. And then finally, not embarrassed to publicly praise God and tell the story of his faithfulness. Deuteronomy chapter 32 is this thing called the Song of Moses. And at the end of it, it uh, the scripture says, Moses came and recited all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. He and Joshua and the son of Nun, they sang this song together. And you know what? Didn't say the people said to Moses, sing us a song. <laughs> Moses just breaks into this song. I mean, who knows? If, my vision is Moses was tone deaf. So, so not only is he breaking into this song, but people have to endure it. They could say, you know, kind of like, Ever hear a song and your comment is good lyrics? Because <laughs> you didn't like the performance, you didn't like the melody, you didn't like the styling, but you say, well, that was good lyrics. That's kind of like what I think sometimes when I read this song of Moses and Deuteronomy 3. People are just kind of going, oh, there, there goes the old guy again, but good lyrics. You know, kind of like, but there was this kind of this unrestrained desire to give God praise and to do it publicly, to tell the faithfulness of God. Which is a challenge because most followers of Jesus won't even tell people they went to worship today. You know, what did you do this weekend? It's amazing how as Christians we can say, well, we did a barbecue, went to the beach, went for a hike, went into this, went into that, you know, and we can't even slip in and went, went to worship. You know, how, how, how tough is that as our first point of witness to someone? Do you, you understand we live in a world where going to worship, say, don't say go to church, I went to worship. That we live in a time in which going to worship is perceived as being eccentric, novel. Don't say go to church. Because people go to ball games, people go to beach, people go to this, people go to that. But I went to worship. How, how tough is that just as even the first step of getting to a point where we could share? Okay, last thing. If I was to prioritize this, where to start in these habits of to, principles of becoming an effective follower of Jesus? I would say find a mentor. Find a mentor. I say this for a number of reasons. One, uh, a mentor can reflect the unconditional love of God in your life. A mentor can help you become more disciplined as a woman or man of God in the scriptures. A mentor can help you walk through puzzling places in the Bible that are genuinely puzzling and sometimes... You just need a mentor who will say, yeah, I don't get it either. And then you get it. You get that it's okay not to get it. That's an important part of the Christian life. Part of the Christian life is being okay with mystery and saying, it's, I, don't, I don't need to know everything. And here's a, here's a person that is having influence in my life who seems to, to navigate life in Christ really beautifully amidst the mystery 
and the ambiguity. Because that's where we live. That's where uh, A mentor can help us focus and understand what our next step should be. Not because they tell us, but because they've lived it and we can just simply ask questions like I do. Do it to this day. What would David do? What would Len do? What would Ed say? A mentor can help me pray. Uh, I mean, there's so much that a mentor can do in your life, not because they live it for you, not because they give you all the answers, but because they can share with you a life-giving example. How to think about money, how I spend my money, how, what I read, what I don't read, what I watch. They can introduce me to people I would not normally get the chance to meet. So I would say if you were going to start anywhere, it would be find a mentor. Find a mentor. And if you're getting more mature in your years like I am, then find a younger one. And if you're 20 or 30 years younger than me, then find an older one. The lie is, is that each generation is visiting things for the first time. It's not true. It's not true. It's not true. I meet people in their early 30s that have experienced some of the things I'm struggling with now, and they've already navigated that and come out well on the other side. So I'd say if you're going to start anywhere, start there. Find a mentor. Ask God to show you a mentor. That person may not be in your life. That person may not be a close relationship. But you've watched them from afar. And, and if they would say yes, they would be a source of tremendous blessing. So let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for this time together. We ask in Jesus' name that you would grow us. Lord, we want to lead and live effective Christian lives. We long to live in a way that gives life to other people. And so it is that this day we surrender ourselves afresh to you. We ask for your Holy Spirit to come and lead us, mentor us, lead us to a person. Lord, you, you promised that the Holy Spirit would lead us uh, in truth, would convict us as to sin, would be our counselor, comforter, advocate. And so it is, Father, I believe that because of that, your Holy Spirit can lead us to that woman or man that could be a, the right mentor for us. And so, Father, I pray that, that the weight of your Holy Spirit would fall upon each here now, that the tangible weight of your presence would assure, would strengthen, would comfort and give us each a living testimony that you would guide us to that person. If that is what we're asking you for today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.